This is episode 482 of the AWS podcast, released on November 7th, 2021. G'day everyone, Simon here with a quick pre-podcast message. Episode number 500 of the AWS podcast is coming up. We have a very special episode planned for you with lots of special guests, but we'd love to hear from you. If you would like to contribute some audio to share, maybe your perspective on the podcast, um, how you've used it, etc., we'd love to hear from you. If you visit adibus.amazon.com slash podcast slash podcast, you can see there's a button on that page and it says submit questions and feedback. This lets you upload your own audio to us. So we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note and we'd love to include you in the episode. Keep on building. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of AWS Launch. I'm your host, Nikki Stone, as per the usual. And today we actually have a very special episode. We are joined by one of our awesome customers, MindBody, to talk about AWS local zones. Before we get started, I want to make sure that I introduce everyone. Uh, so we have Ben Duringer. He is a platform architect for MindBody. Ben, feel free to say hi. Hi. We also have John Bear. He's a systems architect for MindBody. John, feel free to introduce yourself. Sure. Hello, everyone. We have Andrew Purden. He is the manager of platform engineering at MindBody. Hi, Andrew. Hello. And welcome. And then lastly, we have Pranav Chatra. He's a senior product manager for local zones here at AWS. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks for having us here. Um, it's honestly my pleasure. I'm very excited. I'm an active MindBody customer with my Pilates daily. So I'm actually very excited to uh, have this conversation. But I think before we get into MindBody and how they're using local zones, let's talk a little bit about what AWS local zones is for those that are not aware. And, um, you know, what a little bit about our AWS Edge offerings. Pranav, can you provide some context there? Yeah, de definitely. So it at AWS, what we are doing is sort of enabling customers to support low latency communication to end users, irrespective of where their end users are and where the network is. And, and that's you know one of the reasons why we launched 25 regions around the world. And with the Edge offerings, uh, we're sort of building on it and bringing outpost local zones and enabled zones closer to more customers and their end users. Um, so if you look at Outpost, it's, it's basically a fully managed service that extends AWS to on-premises installations and sort of enable hybrid experience. It's basically designed for workloads that need to remain on-premises due to latency requirements. However, uh, not every customer wants to operate uh, their own on-premises data centers. In fact, you know, there are customers who want to get out of their data centers entirely. And that's where local zones come into picture. Local zones allow such customers to gain all the benefits of having compute and storage closer to their end users without the need to operate their own data centers. And then on the other hand, Wavelength is designed to deliver ultra low latency communication to, to 5G devices. So getting into you know, more details around local zones, uh, let's just take an example of LA local zones. What we've done here is that we've extended the Oregon region into the LA area by building two local zones there. Uh, in, in some sense, these local zones are just like AZs, it's just that they're extending out of the region where the control plane is back in the region and the data plane is in the, in the local zone, uh, in this case, LA. And that allows customers and end users in the Southern California area to run resources in, in the LA local zones and, and you know, stay closer to provide single digit millisecond latency experience. 
how many local zones do we actually have? So we are building these local zones and, and launching them you know, as, as we speak as well. So we're launching three local zones today, including those we'll have 13 local zones uh, across the U.S. And there are three more which are coming up later this year in 2021. Very cool. Very interesting. I like how there's some local zones in L.A. It's pretty close to me. So let's get into, I think, how MindBody is using local zones or why they chose to use local zones. Yeah, I can take that. So we made the decision to migrate to AWS to be able to retire our legacy data centers. And, and when we started the migration process, uh, we came up with a list, with a list of uh, objectives and results that, uh, that we wanted to get out of the migration. And I think we came up with about 15 objectives, uh, but the most important were probably improving reliability, uh, automating everything where possible and embracing infrastructure as code, uh, but also reducing risk to the business during the migration. Uh, mm -hmm. And that seemed like it was going to be the trickiest objective. The reason for that is we have a large amount of data that was in our data center. And also our applications expect very low latency when querying that data. So correct. Right. So we couldn't think of a way to safely migrate between our data center and the nearest AWS migration. The only migration strategy that we could come up with would be to migrate all of the data and applications at the same time over a maintenance window that might last several days and then bring up everything on the other side and hope that it worked, as we called that the Big Bang strategy. But that seemed extremely risky. Scary, uh, terrifying. Yeah. If we had any issue that we found uh, once we came up in AWS, we might have to do a rollback, which would then take another several days, at worst case. And so that would be an extended outage for our customers. So I'm horrified for you and also really glad you didn't take pull-up we, down my we were, software. <laughs> We were very horrified uh, by thinking that we might have to do that, but we started coming up with plans of how we would mitigate that risk. Uh, it really seemed like the only option for us. And around that time, that was when the local zone for Los Angeles was announced, uh, and it immediately felt like it answered our problems Lucky. at the perfect time. So we, as soon as we could get access to it, we tested the latency to our data center, and it was really fast, and so that um, got us excited about that this would be a a much better strategy. So then were you able to like transfer chunks of data to the local zone fast with low latency instead of transferring it all at once? Yeah, that's, that's right. What we were able to do was to migrate individual applications and databases. So if we moved one application to AWS and they needed to query data uh, that was still in the legacy data center, it would be able to do so over the direct connect without much of a performance impact. Got it. And then later you, you would move the data at some point in time when you've established that everything is working and that, and you just make a copy of the data, I guess. Yep. We, act, we actually did quite a bit of that live, right? So we moved, we were able to move applications and data at different times uh, throughout the migration without having, How, without incurring downtime. That's amazing. How long did the migration take and so the strategy I'm assuming here is like move the app, make sure it's still working and connecting to the, you know, legacy database, then move the database or copy the database and then have the app communicate with that database and then move on to the next one or something of that nature. 
the project itself, I think, was close to two years. Uh, wow. From, from inception and first testing, but that was before the local zone was even a possibility. And then I think once we actually started moving things, been maybe six or nine months. Yeah, yeah I was going to say nine. Yeah. And um, basically, you don't feel like you might have been able to even go this fast without local zones. No, it would have been just a lot of planning and then one very stressful weekend, probably, <laughs> where we hope that things come up on the other side. Um, so there was no plan B to like the big bang plan? There was no plan B before the local zones came into the picture? I think there were some conversations about some other options, right? Yeah, there were some conversations, but none of them were, uh, none of them were viable or none of us were, I would say, comfortable pitching that to upper management as like a viable solution. <laughs> we didn't want our names necessarily on that, that uh, plan B. Right. <laughs> Got it. Makes sense. So what kind of actual latency are we talking about from communication to the local zone? Like you said, it was really fast, but like, do you know how fast or? Yeah, our round trip to Oregon, I think is about 38 milliseconds or close to 40 milliseconds. And that was what we were running into. A lot of, a lot of the calls to our databases can exponentially be impacted by that. Um, so it's not just necessarily one call, but it could be repeated calls for, for database access. And so that just wasn't feasible to do a phased approach to Oregon, which was kind of our, our best case scenario. But then we had about two milliseconds latency. Uh, fortunately, we were located, our data wow. center was, was very near the, the local zones uh, in LA. So uh, yeah, we got a two milliseconds latency between the two. Dang. Much that's better. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. That's like, that's a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, wow. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, maybe like what you guys migrated and how easy it was to actually set up the local zone. So obviously you migrated data. I'm assuming that you picked a, a managed database or maybe not. And then like, you know, if you want to talk a little bit about any of the infrastructure that you migrated that is still able to be used normally in the local zone. Yeah. So, so the majority of our application is, is very windows heavy or very windows heavy shop. So we migrated previously we're a VMware shop uh, with, you know, just standard VMs and SQL. Our database layer is all SQL databases. And so we managed to move those all into, you know, EC2 systems with, uh, with SQL on them. So we aren't going to a managed database environment yet, uh, but that's definitely something that we're hoping to get to, right? So we saw local zone as that stepping stone into AWS uh, or into the cloud, right? So that we can get people and our application teams comfortable with that. That kind of leads to the other side, which is, you know, some of our application moved just straight over as EC2 instances, yep. and some of it moved into containers. And Ooh. so now it's it's starting to build that uh, that rapport with our developers to where they can now start thinking of our application in a containerized world or in a web-based world versus, oh, we had everything, you know, we had a bunch of uh, pets instead of cattle, right? So now we want to get everything as cattle and just, you know, be able to... Uh, take care of it. So. so you guys were able to even modernize as you migrated, which is like incredible because not uh, everybody absolutely. has the ability to do that. Yeah. yeah. We, I mean, we took the opportunity, sorry, Ben, <laughs> we took the opportunity to clear a bunch of, a bunch of technical debt as well as uh, modernize where we could, but we also didn't want that to 
be like a linchpin that just kept it. You know, we weren't going to say it has to be modernized to get there. Right. Like, it was more important for us to get there than to modernize across the board. So there were definitely things that we couldn't modernize and, you know, just kind of move forward some of that tech debt. But now teams can start working on it. Right. So it was like a case by case basis. If this is easy to modernize and we can go ahead and do it, we might as well. Otherwise, we move the existing, get it working, figure it out later on, basically. Right. We, we Love that seen, strategy. Yeah. We've been using containers in other environments for a while now, uh, Linux containers. And since mm -hmm. we've seen a lot of benefits for our dev teams um, to be able to use containers. Yep. So we wanted to be able to get those same advantages for our .NET framework applications as well. But they only run on Windows. Uh, right. But we were able to use Windows on EKS. Uh, ah, got it. Yeah, Windows on EKS to be able to migrate a lot of those applications from virtual machines to containers in the local zone. Really cool. Yeah, I've used some Windows containers before with .NET Framework. Not a, well, it, yeah, it's definitely an improved experience over it, the past few years. It's, we'll still different. it's still different from Linux containers for sure. Definitely. But it's definitely a lot better now than it was. So, you know, once you guys had local zones, you know, as an available tool in your toolbox, what are some of the challenges you faced during the migration, if any? There were a few. Uh, one I could highlight is, you know, local zones being brand new, there, there's still some functionality that's not supported. And I know you guys are always making steps towards adding functionality. One that stood out early on was that we, we have to use the transit gateway architecture in, in all of our environments in AWS, and, and that wasn't supported to connect directly to the local zone. So we had to kind of re-architect some of our networking, use VPC peering instead between our AWS environments. So that, that was something we were able to overcome by switching to VPC peering. Pranav, is that something that's on the radar for local zones or? Yeah, that, that's something that we've heard from MindBody and other customers as well. So it's definitely something that we want to bring to local zones. So that, that is something that, that we have in the roadmap. That's great. That's awesome. I'm glad that you guys still were able to like find a way around it though. Um, so like if, if somebody else was like starting their migration today, and they needed to use, you know, local zones because they maybe they had a similar situation to you guys. What, what would you say to them? What would you tell them to do, and what would you tell them not to do? That's a that's a really good question. I I think um, I think the key thing is to embrace it, and then to get involved with AWS. Like Pranav and team have been very helpful for, with us. Right during the migration, we had different periods of time where we had, you know, routine calls with them weekly or bi-weekly, uh, just based on when we were moving something. And that was definitely something that helped us out, right? Because when we hit that sticking point that, that Andrew just spoke of, or if we had a, a design idea or something we wanted to run by them, we could raise that up with, uh, with the entire AWS team. And then, you know, they could either take that feedback or, you know, it might've been something that had been thought of and they shifted our idea of what, uh, what we wanted to do. So... It's really cool. And that's good advice. Yeah. Sometimes we can be helpful. Yeah, always. <laughs> or always. So have you guys heard anything from your customers actually? Or have they noticed any, any difference since you've migrated? Or is it, you know, obviously it was all infrastructure and mostly internal, but has there been any customer response? Um, and did you have to roll anything back or everything just kind of went so smoothly and you guys did it in pieces that it was not an issue? We did have hurdles as we went along, but fortunately, because of the phased migration, we were able to roll back individual pieces 
pause, uh, take a look at what happened, and then try again later. Since we've migrated, we are seeing increased performance in um, some areas of our application. So that's a positive. Uh, wow. But yeah, like you said, this is kind of the underlying infrastructure to the software. So ideally, customers are not really noticing. Performance things, though, I feel like I would notice that. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm a super observant customer, but I would notice that <laughs> um, if, it's, if it's suddenly faster than it was. Uh, it's definitely something I would notice in an app as a consumer of MindBody. <laughs> so, so that's cool. Pranav, how about uh, from our end, what has been the response so far from our customers regarding local zones? Yeah, I mean, we've been you know, pretty much delighted by the kind of use cases we have seen and the feedback that we are getting from customers. Some consistent feedback is around the API experience. So customers you know, generally tell us that they, they love the same APIs and the experience that they use to in regions. And ease of experience is, is pretty much consistent in the feedback. You know, in fact, there are gaming customers who are able to extend their applications to local zones or new locations within a day as well. So that's something that we are hearing. Enterprise migration use case, uh, similar to what MindBody is doing, is, is something we are seeing across the US. And then there are, you know, there's the other category of use case, which is more of a distributed use case, where customers are trying to extend their applications to more users across the US. And with mm -hmm. more local zones coming into picture, gaming customers like Supercell yeah. and Ubitus, they are able to extend their multiplayer gaming sessions and, and just ensure that end users have much better experience and much consistent experience. So that's something that we are seeing a lot more as we launch these local zones across the US and, and provide single digit millisecond experience across the contiguous US. So in general, you know, across different industries, public sector, M&E, gaming and enterprise, we're seeing a bunch of use cases that are coming up and very excited to see how, how it evolves as well. How easy is it for a customer to set up and use local zones? Because I can definitely imagine this being popular in gaming, as you mentioned, um, and obviously several other industries. It's, it's fairly simple. You know, you go to the console, there is a parent region. So for example, if you want to enable LA local zones, you go to the Oregon console and then you enable it in a in couple of clicks. And once you enable it, you'll see the local zone showing up as one of the AZs. And then you can just basically create a subnet, link it to the local zone and start launching sources there. And if you're using an SDK, do you just indicate a local zone region the same way that you would so, normally? Yes. So if you're using SDK, you just basically pass on the local zone name into the availability zone parameter. So for example, the LA local zone will say US West 2, which is the parent region. And then the LAX1A, which will tell you 1A is the first local zone in LA. So you pass on that parameter in the SDK and, and it just works. That's awesome. Sounds easy enough for sure. What are some other things possibly coming down the line in the future for local zones that might be complete game changers for our customers? So, I mean, one of the biggest priority for us is to distribute local zones across the US where the intention is customers should be able to now deploy applications across local zones without worrying and you know about their own data centers or on-premise installations. So that is one of the biggest things we are working on, just expanding local zone presence. And then based on the feedback, we are prioritizing more services you know, in the compute, storage, and, and databases, and others as well. The, the intention is you know uh, we can bring more services beyond what we support. So you, know, you should see FSx, RDS, and uh, ALB across these local zones. And, 
you're also bringing a die connect to most of the locations in the us as well so the the intention is to basically work on both front expanding the locations and then also bringing more services and features for customers sounds awesome i actually can't wait for the additional service offerings especially improving latency on some of the things i'm personally building um <laughs> sounds really really awesome so so guys you know we covered a lot today is there anything that you know we missed that you might want to tell customers out there about local zones your migration in specific uh you know or anything else that i don't know that you deem relevant to local zones yeah i don't think so um like you said we covered a whole bunch so so overall yeah happy with the experience and uh yeah nothing nothing left to uh nothing left to add right i was just going to say that i think it's important to design and implement with high availability from the get go so definitely mm. don't implement with a single point of failure with the plan to add high availability later uh, especially with the local zone really there's, good advice. there's some more things to think about with the local zone so you definitely want to implement with high availability test that high availability before putting any production workloads on it very good advice especially I with agree direct connect. This. especially with with direct connect yes. is that what you said yep that's, uh, that's very good advice i would agree with that advice so guys how can our customers get in contact with you if they have questions about local zones uh, your migration in specific, or you know, just as a mind body customer that wants to be a fan, maybe like me. We get all that fanboy email now, you know, or or uh, twi <laughs> tweets. <laughs> so, so you can yes. hit me up. I'll I'll throw my Twitter out there. Why not? Right? Just at the exchange guy or exch guy, like exchange guy. So that's uh, me. Yeah, and I, cool. I'm available on LinkedIn at Ben Derringer. Yep, you can find me on LinkedIn too, Andrew Purden. And if uh, any of this tech sounds interesting, we are hiring as well for platform engineers. What a great drop in there, Andrew. Thank you. The manager <laughs> throws it out there. So. No problem. <laughs> love it. Love it. Pranav, if, if any of our customers have questions. Yeah, I mean, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm available. Uh, Pranav Chastra, name on LinkedIn. Awesome. And you guys know where to find me. If you have any questions about the podcast or feedback for me, I always love to hear it. My Twitter handle is knee, like your knee, and a key 23. That's K-N-W-E-K-E-Y 23. Love to hear your feedback as usual. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. It was honestly such a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for Thank having us. Thanks. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Keep on building. Episode number 500 of the AWS podcast is coming up. We have a very special episode planned for you with lots of special guests, but we'd love to hear from you. If you would like to contribute some audio to share, maybe your perspective on the podcast, um, how you've used it, etc., we'd love to hear from you. If you visit adibus.amazon.com slash podcast slash adibus-podcast, you can see there's a button on that page and it says submit questions and feedback. This lets you upload your own audio to us. So we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note and we'd love to include you in the episode.